If I was in Uganda, I would say, praise the Lord. Amen. Welcome you in the name of the risen Lord to this worship service. And I pray privilege to be able to have the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. I had to ask Alison because when we preach in Uganda, the introduction is usually 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and the sermon lasts about two hours. And we are told that is longer than the worship service. So I will try to, uh, to adjust and fit within the 30 minutes. We want to thank you for your love towards us. We have been here since uh, the 4th of this month. And we have visited your homes. We have eaten good things. We have found smiling voices. We want to appreciate your love. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for supporting us in Uganda. The last time you gave us the opportunity to visit our daughter Susan and her husband Michael, whom we love so much. And we thank you for doing that. And may God bless you abundantly. Last Sunday, we talked about our ministry that you've been supporting for more than nine years. You have allowed us to do the things that we enjoy doing, the things that we believe that God has called us to do, which is to share the love of Jesus Christ. Your support has enabled us to do that. It has allowed us to be able to reach the girl child and enable the girl child to continue going to school and be able to realize your potential that has been given by God. Thank you for supporting us and may God bless you. Last Sunday, we had a preaching from Pastor Patrick and I was blessed to be part of that. And I was requested whether I could be able to continue with the same series or choose something else. And I felt blessed to be part of the teaching that was going on through the book of James. So today our reading, our teaching is going to come from James chapter 3, beginning from verse 1 to verse 12. Alison told you that we've been with Christine, my wife, since 1990. She has been cooking. She has been, she has been taking care of me. Christine, can you wave? Christine came into my life in 1990. Prior to that, God had given me Mary, whom he took to be with him. I thank God for Christine, and I thank God for the life that I had with Mary. And it's a joy for me to be here and be able to be with my little Susan and my little grandchildren, Gary and Michelle. I love you so much, and I've been missing you all these years. It has been a great reunion, and I want to thank you for taking care of us. Wasa, Mate, they are taking care of us, and we appreciate that. Our text is James 3, verse 1 to verse 12, and I will be reading from my Bible. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to breathe his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And a tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we cast people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Pray the Lord. This text is written by James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and has been written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Many people think that he gives, what he gives is not in line with the teaching of Paul, because Paul is teaching that salvation is by the grace of God alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so when James comes up to teach, people think that he's teaching the opposite that it sounds like he's teaching that our salvation comes about as a result of our obedience to the law and not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a misunderstanding of the teaching of James. It is an incomplete understanding of the teaching of James because James is on the same page with the teaching that Paul is, is giving. We can only say that the emphasis may be different based on the context. Paul is emphasizing salvation by the grace of God through faith alone, and that is true. James is teaching the same thing, but he's emphasizing the color. He's emphasizing the look of the faith that is what we would call the saving faith. And this text, as we look at it, uh, is talking about what we would say genuine faith. He's looking at a person who professes faith in the Lord, but would like to see that faith supported by the conduct and actions of the one who is saying that he has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three phases in the life of a Christian that we can look at. One, the phase when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ when we believe in him, when we repent of our sins, when we get the conviction that we cannot do anything to save ourselves, and we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. That is stage number one. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is true. It is something that is finished. But there is phase three, 
And the phase three is the phase where we are being ushered into the presence of God. When this life comes to an end, when judgment has taken place, when we have appeared before the judgment throne of God and we are ushered into the kingdom, of, into the presence of God, that is stage number three. We have not yet reached there. But between the two stages, this is the time that James is talking about. The entering period is what we are dealing with. The period in which we are standing today, in which we are not free from the presence of sin. I'm trying to get around the subject so that we can be able to understand it as we talk about the speech, what we say. In the preceding verses, just before we come to this part, what Pastor Patrick talked about, the very last verse he talked about, says that for us the body, apart from the spirit, is dead. So also faith, apart from works, is dead. He's talking about the characteristics of genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The things that we must look for in a true Christian. The things that accompany somebody who is professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, true salvation must be accompanied by a changing life of a believer that is testimony to the presence of God in our lives. It is not simply something we talk about. Talking about it is important. But the talking about the subject must be accompanied by works that are in line with the words we talk about in order to make our words genuine. In short, James is saying, true salvation should be seen. True salvation should be heard. True salvation should be touched. True salvation should be smelt in the Christian. When I went to business school, we had a professor who said, he was teaching us marketing. He said, some of the things we talk about marketing are things that cannot be seen. But when you tell people about these things, you must be able to provide handles that they are going to use to be able to touch these things. In other words, you must be able to talk of things that are intangible, but make sure that you tangibilize them. The things that cannot be touched, you must make sure you provide handles for people to touch them. The Christianity that we talk about is Christianity that should be seen in the things we see in everyday life. Because a Christian is not just words. Testimony is both beyond words. In today's text, James addresses the issue of the use of the tongue. He's not saying that speech is sinful, but that inappropriate use of our speech could be disastrous. That's what he's saying. We need to speak in order to communicate. Teachers are particularly susceptible to making mistakes in our speech because we speak a lot. That is our life. <laughs> that is how we live, by speaking. And the Bible says where words are many, sin is not lacking. We need to speak in order to communicate. Teachers are all those engaged in influencing the thinking and reasoning of others of others on a regular basis. They may be Sunday school teachers, they may be classroom teachers, they may be pastors, professors at seminary, Bible study leaders. 
I intend to look at this from three areas because I believe that Paul James is looking at it, he's bringing out three points. And number one is that we fail many times in many areas of our lives, including the use of our tongue. And in verse, beginning from verse one, he has words to say when he talks about the tongue. He says in verse one and in verse two, he says these words, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And verse two he says, we will all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's talking about something that does not exist. He's talking about a person who does not exist in this life. There's no person who does not make mistakes. Well, maybe here, but in Uganda, <laughs> we <laughs> make mistakes. I make mistakes several times in one day. We are sinful, though we have been forgiven. God is still working on us. We are work in progress. Because of that weakness, not many should aspire to become teachers. When you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, he gives the general picture of the sinfulness of man, of our weaknesses, which includes the words that we use, the stumbling that we make as a result of the sinfulness that, that is in us. And none of us can claim to be free from that. First John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, he says these words. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Sin is general. In this particular case, he's talking about the sins of speech, the sins of the tongue. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 19, he says these words. He says, for I do not understand, and this is Paul, the apostle, writing these words. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Has it ever, that ever happened to you? You have organized your talk. You're going for a meeting. Maybe you're planning to marry someone. You have organized your speech so well. But in the process, it breaks down things kind of go wrong. And you begin asking, how did I do this? Disorganize the whole evening. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do the, I do not know the good, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
it is a sad state. There is something in us that moves us to do the wrong that we do, including the misuse of our tongue. Our hearts are full of evil, and it is that evil that comes out as we live in public our lives. We do not train people to do what is wrong, but that's what happens all our lives. I've gone through eight children, and I've been struggling all the time to teach them to do the right thing, to teach them to say the right thing. I've never gone to teach them to do the wrong thing. But something happened. I have two boys, one called Joshua, another one is Timothy. We had pancakes, and we had two pancakes. So Timothy came and we said, one pancake is yours, the second one is for your brother. So immediately, he, be, he beat something from his, and he began walking. So by the time he began walking, he had one full one and a half that he had taken off part of it. And as he kept, he kept moving towards Joshua, he looked at the full one and the half. He kept moving, and we were wondering why he was checking. He kept looking at the full one and the half. Finally, when he reaches Joshua, he decides that Joshua should get the half, and he keeps the full one. That was cheating. That was stealing. That was coming out of his heart. He was loving himself. He wanted much more than his brother. We had never told him to do that. We always told him to, to love his brother and do what was right. He didn't even know very well the word cheating, but he began cheating without knowing the vocabulary of cheating. That is our heart. That's how we behave. That's how we reason. The Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The heart is the engine behind all we do and say. Our conduct is the expression of our hearts. What the tongue gives the world is the abundance of what is in the heart. We may rehearse the good things we want to say when we go to a meeting, but after some times, our true selves comes out with a bang. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 12, 33 to 35, that evil hearts must produce evil thoughts, they must produce evil plans, they must produce evil actions, they must produce evil programs, they must produce evil speeches. The tongue is merely a pointer to indicate that things are bad on the inside. I think that is why James later on does not tell us, do this to the tongue. Don't say this, because he knows that the problem is deeper than the words that we mention. We have evil intentions. We want to take revenge. We want to appear better than other people. That's what we are doing. That's what we try to do all the time. All these find their way to the public through the tongue. They are carefully packaged in our speeches. This is what we are. We are sinners. And that's what we do, sinful actions. No one is exempt. Not even pastors are exempt from that. So James is treading on ground that is difficult for the church. He's talking about something that touches everybody in the church. The failures that we experience. He wants us to be ready for those failures in our neighbors, in our members of the choir, in our elders, in our pastors when they happen. 
don't get surprised, as one says. Why do we get surprised when sinners sin? We get surprised many times. And we begin saying, well, he has sinned, that is true, but I think he was worse than me. We try to compare ourselves. He has gone very far. No, this is too far. It's not. That's what we are. It is sad, but that is the fact of life. James raises this issue so that we may be prepared to deal with ourselves. Number two, we cause a lot of havoc in our lives and in the lives of other people as a result of our sins, especially in this particular context, the sins of the tongue. We destroy homes. We break up church communities. We break up families. We cause wars among nations. We cause hatred among friends by our sinful conduct, including the bad use of our tongue. We make life impossible for our spouses as we use our tongues. The use of our tongues in many areas has reduced some of our spouses to people that we are supposed to see and not hear. They're supposed to be seen, but they should not be heard. James says these words in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. He says these words. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set by fire, set on fire by hell. Every morning we need fire in our homes. We use fire for cooking. Fire is a very good servant. But when fire becomes the master, then it destroys things. It becomes uncontrollable. During the reign of Idamin in the 1970s in Uganda. He felt so big, he named himself several titles. He called himself the conqueror of the British Empire, and that was dagging to England. He, called, he, he talked to our neighbor, the president of Nyerere. He said these words, President Nyerere, you are so beautiful, and I would like to have you in my bed. President Nyerere was a man, and he responded and said, next week, I will be coming to your bed. He came with an army, and many people in Uganda died, and he was toppled from his government. By the use of his bad words, lives were lost, homes destroyed, and he lost his seat as the president. This was what the bad tongue does. We continue to suffer in life as the result of the fall of Adam and Eve. They made bad choices, whose consequence still continues to torment mankind. Parents have made choices that have affected the lives of the wives and the children. The children are deprived of the right to receive food, shelter, decent education as a result of bad choices, including the choices of speaking. Wives are deprived of wholesome company, social, physical, and emotional protection. 
Bad words have deprived us of our good relationships. We must live with the consequences of the responsible use of our tongue. These consequences are both short-term and long-term. I've lived with my wife since 1990. I'm not exempt from the misuse of words. I'm not exempt from spitting fire using my tongue. But I know what that word has costed me. When the big bed becomes so small that you feel you cannot fit there. When the wife turns the other side and, and you begin wondering how you will make her turn and face your direction because of the words that you mentioned. Begin asking, pretend as if I never said this. <laughs> Let us assume I never said it. <laughs> But we live with those bad consequences. And that is the fire that our tongues bring to life. We end up breaking up our families when words lead us into committing sins like fornication. Because before we commit those actions, it is the words that pave the way to convince people to do wrong things. Adultery, especially when we hold a teaching position. There is judgment against all the sinful acts that we perform. We can begin to experience the pain today, but ultimately we'll receive the real pain. And, and as James talks about it, hell, as a result of the bad things that we mention, the bad things that we do, the ultimate uh, punishment for those that have refused to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal damnation. There was a man who had nothing. He was a poor man. He had, no, uh, he had no friends. He had no relatives. And he happened to see a lady that was wealthy. He went and requested to live in her house. She allowed him to live in the house. And every time she brought food to him, he would say, thank you very much. What you have done to me, you have done to yourself. Every day he used to say that. One morning, he got tired of her and wanted her to die and leave. He couldn't tell her to go, so he decided to give, her poison, to give him poison. And so she prepared poison and put it in his cup and brought it to him. Said, your tea is here. She said, thank you, mama. What you have done to me, you have done to yourself. He put the tea in his room and kept doing his work. One of the girls, the daughters of the lady, came into his room and looked at the coffee and drank it. And she became so bad. They called the lady to tell her that the girl was dying. The first question was, did you drink your tea? And the man said, no. She, your daughter came and drank it. I'm still hungry because she took the tea. She knew the daughter was gone. And the man said, I've always told you, whatever you do to me, you have done to yourself. The bad actions that we perform, the irresponsible words that we mention, the mean things that we do, we do to other people with intentions of hurting them, belittling them, and exalting ourselves. But the end result is that we do them to ourselves. We receive in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 8, Paul says, Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh, will the flesh reap corruption? But the one who sows to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says, Part A, for the wages of sin is death. Everything we do has a consequence. We have to live with the consequences of the decisions that we have made. We become Christians, yes. The singing was, we come as we are. But when we come to the house of God, we don't remain as we are. God wants us to be changed by his power. That is going to be my last point. The careless words we utter have got serious consequences in our lives and the lives of others. All sins, including the sins of the tongue, shall be judged. The sad news is that we do not have the remedy in ourselves for the wrong direction we are taking. We cannot heal the tongue that is restlessly evil. We do not have the capacity to transform ourselves. Verses 7 and 8 says these words. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed. And has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Nobody. No man can tame the tongue. But the good news is that God can give us the power to deal with the tongue as with all other sins. Because the tongue, the sins of the tongue, are in the context of other sins that we engage in. When I grew up in the 1960s, I think many of you were not yet born, uh, we had a lady, um, we used to, she was nicknamed Pidgeot 504. Pidgeot 504 was a very fast vehicle. And, and so we called her Pidgeot 504 because she would move throughout the whole village carrying news, some of it right, but most of it wrong. So she was basically turning around the whole village, destroying relationships. Many, many homes broke up because of, of her. Many people tried to stop her, but it was impossible. A few years later, she received the Lord Jesus Christ, and God changed her. Instead of going around to spread bad rumors, she went around talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God who changed her to become what he could never have become. Jesus is saying the same thing. In our own efforts, we cannot transform ourselves. Our efforts are completely in vain. That's what he's saying in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. He says, either make the tree, the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Transforming the tongue means transforming the whole person. This teaching would have been easy. Tell people to change the way they speak. Tell them what words to speak and which words not to speak. This is not the way it is going to happen. Because the engine behind the speaking is not the tongue, but it is the heart. So any efforts to change the speaking must be directed at the heart. 
and that can only be done by God through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. No man can do that. However much we threaten people, however much we intimidate them, it is not going to happen. The effort to transform us from acting in ways that are evil belongs to God. But we must respond to the working of God by determined to do that which is pleasing unto him. In other words, there is, uh, they call it synergy, working together. Man responding to God and God speaking to us. A determination to know what we have come into. A determination to remember where we came from. A determination to know what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of God. Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, should we go on sinning so that grace might abound? In other words, he's saying in this particular, he was here, he would be saying, should we go on saying bad words so that grace might increase? Since we are sinners, it is okay for us to continue. And the answer is no. We cannot continue like that. God is working in us, and we must be able to respond to what God is doing in our lives, respond in a positive manner to him, because we are Christians that are responsible people. We need to make choices based on the word of God. He says, no, we died to sin. And cannot therefore continue sinning. We cannot continue living in it. Should we continue misusing our tongue? The answer is no. This is what James is teaching all along. He's saying we cannot continue allowing our members to be used by the devil to carry out sinful acts like the misuse of our tongue, tongues that are meant to communicate messages of love and reconciliation. We can't do that. Our life must directly correspond to our faith. Right faith, right practice. I went to School of Clinic Officers, and in the second year, uh, we had learned a bit about the, the, the structure of the body, and we had also learned about some drugs. And so we, uh, we knew that uh, uh, when you had a drug like Panadol, it would be able to treat fever high temperature and pain. And so uh, we get a patient who is having headache and the fever, his temperature is high, and so we give Panadol. That was simple, but are we treating the disease? We call that symptomatic treatment. We are dealing with the signs and symptoms of the disease. We are not dealing with the real disease. And the point here is that we cannot deal with just the symptoms and claim to have taken care of the disease. Dealing with merely the tongue is dealing with the symptoms. Yes, we should be able to do that. We cannot allow it to continue as we follow the calling of God. But we must be able to say, God, work on this heart. We need to deal with the cause of the headache and the pain if we are to deal effectively with the patient. We need to go back and understand what we are and what we have. We are the children of God. We have the power of God, who is the Holy Spirit. We have the power to change. We do not have the power to change in ourselves, but are more than victorious through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the duty to act responsibility through the power of the Holy Spirit. James is saying that this kind of life, the life where we have fresh water and salt water coming through the same hole, it's not the right life for a Christian. In other words, he's saying we must hate the bad things that are in us. We cannot be comfortable with the bad things that are in us. The bad conduct cannot be acceptable. It cannot be, make us comfortable. If 
we say bad words all the time to our wives, we shouldn't be comfortable. If we are unruly, we shouldn't be comfortable. If we are mean towards members of the church, we should not be comfortable. That's what he's saying. This should not be. It shouldn't be. He says in verse 9, <laughs> With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother's bay of olives, or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It cannot be. Things cannot continue like this. Yes, we must deal with the symptoms by addressing the cause, which is the heart. James does not directly provide the answer in this text. But the issue of dealing with sin is addressed in the greater text of the context of the Bible. We don't simply give up the idea of engaging in a teaching. Should we keep our lips closed? No, we have to speak. Because even when we don't speak, we communicate. By keeping quiet, we communicate. It was Jack Miller who said, keeping quiet to someone is the worst form of hatred. Because you are killing the person, you are saying he does not exist. We must be able to speak. We must deal with the symptoms by addressing the cause which is the heart. How do we handle this tongue? What about the havoc that has already been created? What about the spouse that is living under fear of what we might say next? We must deal with these issues. The only thing James is saying is that things are not good. Things are impossible without God. Things should not be that way. Answers are provided in the greater context, like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. The sins of the tongue are like any other sins. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says these words. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 5.4 says these words. Let no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Colossians 3.8. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He's talking about the sins of the tongue that they are like any other sins. They must be called what they are. They must be hated. They must be repented of. They must be left behind in the power of the Holy Spirit. If there are people whom we have offended, we need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. We can't just leave things the way they are because they are not right. 
there must be a determination on our part to seek to please God in appreciation for the salvation he has freely given us. Doing works in obedience to God's law does not save us, but we are saved to obey God. Obedience, good works do not save us, but we are saved so that we can be able to obey our God and do good works to our God and fellow man, including the use of our tongue. That is why Paul Esther says that we make it our goal to please God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, elsewhere Paul tells the church, and this is the last thing that I'm saying, that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether we eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. This is what I'm going to say, bringing glory to God. Did what I say bring glory to God? If it did not, we should repent of it. If it's not going to bring glory to God, let us not say it. May God bless you abundantly.